0: Welcome to Drinks at the Doll episode 40, End of a Line. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast waystation for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host Stephanie, and I'm Annie, and I'm Chris. And this week we are talking about the episode that crushed everybody's soul. End of the line, which is the 11th episode of Season 4 of Lost Girl. She says on a sigh. I know. And as far as drink recommendations go this week, really my only drink recommendation is that you go and you find the biggest glass you own, fill it to the top with an alcoholic beverage of your choosing. Ice optional. That is the only recommendation I have. So let's start with, with our with our kind of brief first impressions of the episode. What did you think, Chris?
1: I thought that this episode was basically, like, an emotional obstacle course. (laughs) Because, you know, you're laughing and you're happy and then, oh, zombies. And I personally hate zombies. I know everybody's, like, super (laughs) into zombies. I hate zombie stuff. It drives me crazy. And yes, I do watch The Walking Dead and that show annoys me now, too. But anyway, (laughs) then you're sort of happy because certain things that happen. And, you know, you know, it's not going to end well. Because as much as you try to stay off Twitter, you still hear things.
0: Well, and plus, I think when you see people getting that happy, especially on a fantasy show, you know something bad is about to go down. Just right? about That's right.
1: on any show. Yeah. Well, sure. But, you know, being Whedon fans, we know what that means. <laughs> and, uh, you know, knowing that these writers are also Whedon fans doesn't help. Because, yeah, if somebody's that happy, it's not going to end well. And um so, yeah. So then it ending in tears, of course. And, uh oh, that last scene. It was so good, but it was so sad. But it was so good. <sighs> Damn it, Steve Cochran.
2: Damn it. Yeah, the same. Just uh I kind of wanted to be mad at Bo because she says she's not under a spell. So I was like, eh. Rainer, kind of glad he wasn't in this episode. Loved Linda Hamilton, Linda Hamilton back as Acacia. and the zombies I could have done without because I'm not really a fan of zombies.
0: And all oh, right, that makes two of us. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not a zombie person either. I, I mean, I'm not a zombie personally. I also <laughs> do not enjoy zombie fictionalized stuff. We hope just you're to not clarify. A zombie.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I did understand that. yes. okay, good.
2: I'm not that drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I might be, though, you know. <laughs> and you know, no Doctor Hot Pants. Big, big minus sign for me. Big, you know, big negative for me. But she's at home in her new dark, dark
1: apartment with Crystal. With Crystal.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Meanwhile, episode seven, Crystal Watch. Where is Crystal?
2: Babs. <laughs> ah, <laughs> uh, poor poor us and poor having to watch poor Kenzie with her hilarious family and then so happy. And then just the end was a mess of snot and tears for me. I won't deny the snot, but as Chris said, the ending was so, so good in terms of the acting and so, so sad. So,
0: so I mean, I'm going to save my, my emotional stuff for later. So this is a very kind of clinical opinion of the episode. This episode was better, came off better than it really had the right to be, and I'm going to really credit that to the acting. I thought the writing on this episode was only so-so. It was a very busy episode. There was sort of some not very... I'm going to call them cheap ploys, which sounds mean, and, and maybe it is mean. I don't mean it as meanly as it sounds. But there were some kind of manipulative things that they added to really make the hail death get me be all that oh, more well, impactful. Sure. But... I just thought the acting in this episode was so, so good. And there were some really excellent, excellent scenes in this episode. So it was like a good episode, but it was more, I think, the acting that really elevated it to that level than anything else.
2: Yeah, I agree with you, Stephanie. I did think, you know, when I looked back at it, I was like, this was a really busy episode. There was a lot going on. And it took me a while to kind of look back and process it, because, again, we were given so much information and misdirection, in a sense. Um, you know, who are the Revenants? Why are they there? Who are they going after? Who sent them? Oh, no, wait, this person sent them. Blah, blah, blah. So, it, you know, and then there's the whole thing of Kenzie's past being brought up. What really happened? No, wait, this really happened. No, this is really going on with her family, et cetera, et cetera. And then Rainer's off screen, but there's still so many questions about him. So, more, 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 more questions.
0: I don't know that this, for me, this episode generated more questions necessarily, but it didn't answer nearly enough that it, re- I really think it should, given that it's, you know, so close to the end of the season. I think and, that's kind of
2: been going on all season. <laughs> so.
0: Well, I'm getting, like, nervous at this point because... Yeah. At least last week, even though we had a big case of the week that was not pertinent to the Wanderer, there was – the other storyline was pertinent. And in this episode, really the only thing in regards to the Wanderer that was significant was learning that Tamsin, when she saw Rainer's picture, says, oh, that's not my boss. That's not the person who hired me. Yeah, There really wasn't – anything more in regards to that we do get Massimo coming back so that perhaps suggests who took the seed at the end of the other episode maybe not though I, I'm I'm still willing to bet that there's perhaps a twist that the writers are going to throw in but I really wish that instead of that the revenant plot had been a bit more related to the overarching plot
2: yeah I, I get you
0: so let's talk a little bit about the, the plot with the revenants. I like that they called them revenants because it felt like Lost Girl putting its foot down in re- similarly regards to vampires, right? Because, you know, they, they have a rule in the writer's room that it, you can pull in any mythological creature, fa- you know, fantasy creature you want, but no vampires. Because so many shows do vampires. They've had one vampire on the show in the pilot, vexed and he was a very different vampire than, you know, the the either the true blood or the twilight vampires that were very popular at the time, still are, I guess, very popular. And so now they have these zombie characters, but it's like, okay, fine, we'll do zombies, but they're not we're not going to call them zombies, you know, we're going to call them revenants. And Chris, you did a little research into the mythology behind revenants, so why don't you tell us sort of what you found about them?
1: Yeah, and it is basically, you know, Reading the thing, it's it's basically your fairly standard, what we'd call zombies. It's, according to Wikipedia, the reliable source that is Wikipedia, a revenant is a visible ghost or animated corpse that was believed to return from the grave to terrorize the living. And what I thought was kind of interesting, since we keep talking about Latin, uh, it is from the Latin word, and I'm probably going to say it wrong, uh, Rwenians. R-E-V-E-N-I-E-N-S, which translates to returning. So, because I guess the stories are about, you know, people rising from the grave and coming back, well, as I just said, to terrorize the living, but I think in a lot of the stories it's specifically coming back to terrorize the remaining living family or, you know, something like that. So, uh, apparently the stories sort of became popular in Western Europe during the high Middle Ages.
0: But yeah, like we all said, we're not really big into zombies the way that some people are, but I got to say, I thought the makeup was great for Mm -hmm. the the Revenants. Mm -hmm. I thought the, the stunt people did an awesome job being zombies. And I really did enjoy just the visual of all of the zombies breaking into the warehouse that... Bo and Dyson and Laveau and Harvey were in?
2: I don't know. I thought the makeup was great, but I thought the part where they're all breaking into the warehouse and snarling and going through the windows, and I'm like, oh, that's so typical. I mean, you know, it's meant to be an homage, but not that you can gonna find say. a more original way to get into a building, but, you know, it just, to me, it looked a little like, oh, here's the the play on the you know, Lost Girls version of zombies, and I was like, kind of like, eh.
0: Yeah, it was, okay, yeah, it's, here's the part where the zombies come in and blah, 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 blah. So it was, you know, you could say it was derivative, but I thought it was shot well, personally.
1: This is a completely random side note. That set that they had for the, you know, the part of town that had the cult of the dead, mm-hmm. that totally looked like one of the sets from, I'm sure it wasn't, because I think they filmed in Vancouver, but reminded me very much of the sets from Dark Angel.
2: Yeah, I did like the sets and the visuals and... Again, how you say it was shot very well, Stephanie. Mm-hmm. I like the shot of Beau as she, you know, drinks the blood and says, you know, be at peace. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing for her to say instead of, you know, fall down dead or whatever. It was interesting command for her to give, I think, uh, uh, script-wise. <laughs> and do you have a mint? That was great.
1: Although I think the, the be at peace, you're, you're right, I, I did like it and I did think it was sort of an interesting phrasing but of course like how would you phrase that but i do think it is indicative of who bo is you know yeah, what i mean
0: that's my, that was my original thought is like oh yes that is totally something bo would say because she would see these individuals as being exploited and used right that's true again yeah. like like the duppy yes it always yeah. goes
1: back to the duppy with us doesn't it
0: <laughs> well we like the duppy so then another – so much, not she wasn't so much from mythology, but a, sort of a historical figure that they played with in this episode was Marie Laveau in the character of Laveau. And, Chris, you, you looked up a little bit about her. I know it's smidgen, but I, not a whole lot.
1: Well, that's basically what I found out <laughs> also. Was a smidgen. She was alive from 1794 to 1881. So she was uh, 86 when she died. And she was in New Orleans, Louisiana. And she was basically a voodoo queen, according to Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. Like, literally, I'm looking at it, it says, Occupation Voodoo Queen of New Orleans.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is what she was called.
1: Yes. But I just thought it was amusing that they listed it under occupation. I don't know why.
0: Her actual occupation, though, she was a hairdresser. Right. And that's actually how they suspect she knew so much because one one of the things that really creeped people out about her that really made her made them think oh she she is a voodoo priest, priestess was that she had the tendency to know things she shouldn't know, but historians actually suspect she knew those things because she was a hairdresser and you know people would talk in front of her as if she weren't there, and she would listen and sort of take note and sh- and other people. And her network of hairdressers would tell her things about people in, in the neighborhood, and, and that's how she knew all these things about people, is is what historians suspect.
1: She did actually have a following, and she had a daughter also named Marie Livo. And they both basically had followings and would perform legendary rites on St. John's Eve, apparently. And uh, there's actually like a whole thing to, of course, I mean, all of this is like this whole legend surrounding her, so... Uh, There's a whole thing where after she died, some people thought that maybe she hadn't really died because they thought there were reports of people having seen her around. But of course, you know, there's speculation that it was really that they saw her daughter or one of her daughters who had sort of carried on the legacy. And, And it's interesting because this isn't the first time that she's been used as a fictional character, essentially.
0: Right now on American Horror Story Coven, and I believe it's Angela Bassett is portraying her a lot more sort of multi-dimensional portrayal of Marie Laveau. And in this episode, I don't really think who we see on screen is supposed to be the Marie Laveau, right? Because they just call her Laveau. So she's probably just sort of a, a reference to Marie Laveau. And I don't know. I was, I was a little disappointed she wasn't a bit more dignified, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It just Marie Laveau, the historical Marie Laveau, strikes me as a fairly powerful female figure. And I, I wish maybe she'd gotten a little a little better treatment in the, in the storyline.
2: Than Bo licking her head?
1: Yes. <laughs> I, I was actually going to say making out with the gross guy, yeah. which was actually more gross to me than Bo licking her head, although that was gross, too. <laughs>
0: Again, I, I know that Laveau probably is not supposed to be the Marie Laveau, I think she's just supposed to be a nod to the figure. However, Marie Laveau was a very is a very fascinating, powerful historical black woman, and it was it's a little disappointing to see her basically be reduced to a fairly standard kind of you know, voodoo priestess type of character. And I didn't really understand why she had to be romantically involved with the gross guy. That was just sort of, I mean, I could see them collaborating, but why'd they have to be involved with the gross guy? And then they kill, you know, they kill the black woman and then they let the white guy live and the white guy basically has nothing done to him. So I don't know. I just, I wish that that storyline had played out a bit differently. I do have a question, though, because it was implied that Laveau just sort of kept stitching her head onto new bodies as her old bodies died, right? And mm-hmm. But how would you do that, right?
1: <laughs> By well, yourself, I mean. you know,
0: she's a voodoo priestess. Who knows? Or if
1: you're able to control the dead, you could always just, like...
0: Have them stitch have, it on for you. Yeah.
1: Have them move your head over and then... Yeah. It's gross.
0: Okay, so she's she's moving her head from body to body as the bodies die, right? So since Bo decapitated her and handed her to Harvey, does that mean that he could maybe just stitch her head back on a body and she's good to go? Maybe. I don't know. Or is she dead? That's a good question. I I mean I doubt we'll see her again, but that was just my question at the in regards to that moment. Like, I wonder if she could get her head stitched back on. Hmm.
1: Somebody pointed out that since Bo drank. Laveau's blood, she had power over all the revenants. So arguably, Beau's comment to be at peace also applied to Laveau. Good point.
2: Good point. I did like her sense of, you know, almost her sense of prophecy, which she told Dyson.
0: Yeah, I thought that was interesting. We She mentions to Dyson, you know, I've seen into your heart and you, This prison is sort of of your own making. So she's basically saying to him that this whole wolves mate for life thing is something that is like a cage he's put in, himself inside of, right? That's what it sounded like to me.
2: I really, really enjoyed the Evil Dead reference to Acacia's hand.
0: Yes. <laughs> that Bo said.
2: I was like, yes, that reference I loved because... I don't know if it's just really sad or really geeky. That was one of my first date movies. Was Evil Dead too? So, anyway, love that reference. And she, uh, of course, Linda Hamilton does a great, you know, Bruce Campbell type. Oh my God, something's controlling my hand type thing.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed. Lindel Hamilton in this episode. I liked her in season three, but I thought she really got to have more fun in this episode, and she got to say she really
1: got to do more.
0: Yeah, she got to do a whole lot more in this episode than she did in Delinquents. And again, I thought she was great in Delinquents, and I liked her scenes, but I thought she was really well used in this episode, and I really loved the struggle between. Acacia and Bo. Not only was well, first of all, I gotta say, I very rarely am concerned for Bo. I generally think Bo can take care of herself. But when I saw Linda Hamilton coming at Bo, I was like, Oh shit <laughs> I thought
1: I just
2: but I loved her intro when she sliced the head off the revenant and she goes, You must be Bo and I was like, Yes You know, best <laughs> intro reintro for a character ever on Lost Girl.
1: Apparently, I can't stop making references to other TV shows. When Linda Hamilton came out like that with, you know, the hacking apart the zombie with the sword, I'm like, is she Michonne
0: from Walking Dead now?
2: <laughs> Michonne, yeah. <laughs> the machete.
0: Really, sort of the most interesting part of the Revenant plot, I, I for me personally, was seeing Tamsin and Acacia interact, mm-hmm. and seeing... Tamsin sort of confessed to her, I remember how I kind of sort of was part of cursing Rainer. Sorry, oops, uh-oh. And, you know, Acacia saying to her that she could be in real danger. And I mean, granted, we learn later that Acacia kind of manipulated the situation to try to get Tamsin to rally the troops and go and and kill the Wanderer. But I, I do think that Acacia is not necessarily wrong that Tamson could be in real danger from the Wanderer yep. if he finds out what what she did.
2: Oh yeah, right. that's definitely true. And I I love seeing through all of Acacia, she's really warning Tamson, but you see the feelings that Acacia has for Tamson, you know, as her protege, but someone that Acacia, this really badass, you know, kind of hard warrior character, really cares for Tamson. And I love seeing the camaraderie between them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I thought we got some some good scenes for Tamson with, with Acacia. I liked the conversation that they had about Acacia trying to say, we got to take him out and Tamsin being like, no, not, you know, I need to be sure this time I'm not a killer. And, Mm -hmm. and I really liked seeing that kind of development in her character.
2: Yeah. And you wonder if it's because she's been reborn or if it's because she's been around the the gang so long and now she's been uh, kind of accepted as one of them. And I thought it was very telling when Acacia said to her, Or or, I don't know if it was Tamsin who said, you know, you just wanted me to get the crew so that we could, you know, get the Wanderer or to get my crew. And it's very telling that Tamsin refers to it as her crew or her group of people, which she would not have done beforehand, I think, especially in the third season, when it seems like she was such an outcast.
1: Did did anybody else think maybe Acacia, in addition to wanting the Wanderer caught for her own or... or not caught so much as taken care of for her own safety, but also because she was worried about Tamsin. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess it kind of crossed my mind the first time, but watching it again,
2: I don't know. It hit me more. Tamsin finds out at the episode, that's not my boss. That's not the Wanderer. So the reveal is, is that this Wanderer is still some character that we have not seen. That is not Raynor, correct?
0: I we don't, don't know, know if that's 100% confirmed is the thing, because Tamsin says that's not the guy who hired me, which could mean Rainer's not the Wanderer, but it could also mean there's somebody else in the mix that either like he was he hired Tamsin as a proxy of Rainer. I, you know, I, I, I don't know that it necessarily means that Rainer is not the Wanderer, but it definitely means that there's somebody else that's involved with this whole thing out there that we don't know yet.
2: Yeah. But at the beginning of the episode, I took it to believe that Acacia and Tamson and everybody assumes that they're after Rainer. They said, we need to talk to your boy toy because he is the wanderer. Acacia still believes that by the end of the episode, because she hasn't seen his picture. Right.
0: Right. Okay. Well, I really wish that Acacia had seen the picture of Rainer or had seen Rainer because Tamsin just says, that's not my boss. That's not, the, which essentially means that's not the person who hired me. So if that's the only time she's ever seen this guy and he said, oh yeah, I'm this guy, but he's really not. He's using the wanderer as an alias or he was just a proxy or something like that. Then, you know, it's quite possible is the wanderer, which I think they've made pretty clear that he is. But yeah, so I, I really wish that Acacia had seen Rayner, because I feel like we had it's there's a stronger sense that she's actually seen this guy more recently. It's possible maybe not. Maybe she's only been contacted through Huguen and Munin. But I wish that she had seen him in order to sort of double down and confirm, like, no, what are you talking about? That's Rayner. That's the guy.
1: But that's exactly why they didn't do that.
0: Exactly, I know. <laughs> <laughs>
2: they don't they don't want us, sure. I know. To me that Tamson scene it made me think. Oh, okay. Maybe Rayner isn't the Wanderer, and that the Wanderer is still
0: someone else. It's possible. So last episode, Bo was really isolated. We only really we only saw her interact with with Rayner really, and in this episode, we see her emerging from her bedroom basically and trying Ew. to reach out to her friends. We see her at the beginning of the episode really making an effort with with Kenzie. And Kenzie calls her out on her selfishness. And I kind of loved that moment.
2: Yeah, I loved it, too, because Kenzie, even though she's she plays it off as lighthearted, you know, like in a few minutes, you know, she goes, oh, you had me at uh, A-hole. asshole or a hole. Yeah, um, she's really voicing her true hurt. So going, yeah, it sucks when it's in when I'm in your when you're in my position. Right. Being forgotten by your friends and things like that. And. You know, Dyson certainly lets his feelings be known, and I, and I just, I kind of felt bad for both of them because Kenzie has been in the unique position of being, having to protect herself, having to disguise herself as Faye, uh, when Bo is gone. But then, so, you know, she says to Bo, I was all alone, and, you know, she says in, uh, Turn to Stone when she expresses her real feelings about that whole thing. And, I don't know, maybe I, because I thought, God, she forgave Beau so quickly in the same scene. I don't know if I would have done the same thing, but maybe she's just so happy to have her back and to have her out of her rainbow coma for the moment um, to uh, just take her, you know, when she's available, you know, just to have her near when she's available and, you know, that she would go, oh, okay, you know, all is forgiven for now, but I'm still going to let you know how I feel. And I, I think if Lauren had been in the episode, even she might have said, you know what? I I've, I've had a lot enough of your BS, Bo, and I'm going to say the same kind of thing.
0: Actually, I just I disagree. Lauren Lauren and Dyson actually both are being pretty patient with her this season. And I think it I think it was really in Kenzie's nature to want to forgive Bo quickly, even if maybe she personally has some stuff she needs to work out. Beau is just such a central figure in her life. Mm -hmm. She really wants to forgive Bo and things to go back to normal. So that's why I think she was willing to give her, you know, at least offer her that forgiveness so quickly.
1: Well, I think part of the reason or or part of the, yeah, part of the reason that everybody's been calling Bo out this episode, uh, at least my my impression, interpretation, whatever you want to call it, uh, I, I think... You know, everybody's been sort of putting their own hurt aside all season because, I mean, clearly Bo has had stuff going on, as we've talked about. And, you know, this big mystery, you know, how did she join the dark side and all this, you know, the dark side, the dark fae. You know, Bo's had all this stuff going on and has for quite a while. And so they've been putting aside their own feelings their own hurt over it because you know well let's try to help Bo but now Bo's back to being sort of chipper but still weird (laughs) yeah you know because of the whole (laughs) the whole Rayner thing so you know now that Bo at least feels like everything is settled and and I have to interject here because I don't think I said it earlier Bo saying that she's not under a spell I have to say how would she know if she
2: was yeah yeah I just wish the spell brainwash thing would. I don't know. I just I get the feeling now that Bo is not brainwashed or whatever because she's just like, oh yeah, everything's fine, and I'm like, what?
0: Again, I, we don't. I feel like we don't have the whole story on Bo just yet. I think it's strongly implied that she is under a spell of some kind or some sort of enchantment, but I I can understand if you're feeling less certain of that, especially now because in this episode she really was acting a bit more like her old self than she has in a really long time. So mm-hmm. I-, I could see where that would make you go, well, she's not under a spell, darn it.
2: I am dubious.
0: So we have we have Kenzie, you know, Bo trying to make up with Kenzie, and it initially goes, okay, you know, more 90s references with the Jerry Maguire quotes. <laughs> 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 and then we have her trying to... Make nice with Dyson, which I found I, I loved. I loved the scene between Bo and Dyson in this episode. I thought Anna Silk and Chris Holden Reed were fantastic in it, and I thought the writing was pretty good. So I, I liked seeing how he was. He was very avoidant of her at the the encampment, and and seeing Tamsin kind of step in and help him out and and be his buddy, and and then what you know what he says to her in the bar about how at least with Lauren. He, he knew her intentions, right? But he just doesn't know anything about Rainer. And I, I was just completely unprepared for Bo to basically tell him, I don't love you anymore.
2: To me, I felt like I was watching their breakup scene because yeah. we've never seen uh, Dyson. Dyson, out of all people with his mate for life thing and everything, reject Bo to such an extent. But I think it's because... It's partially Bo's thing, you know, under spell or not, because she's been, you know, re- putting them to the side for so long all season. And one can only take so much.
0: In my opinion, additional evidence that something is going on with Bo was the way that they had Acacia, particularly Acacia, testing Bo as to why she thinks the things about Rainer that she does, because... She, you know, there's. She's just saying, "Oh, he's a good guy. He wouldn't do this to me." And and Acacia's just like, "Well, how do you know?" And the only only response she has is, "I just know." And honestly, she sounds a bit like somebody who's been brainwashed, frankly. And meanwhile, I'm <laughs> sitting there going, "What kind of a BS answer is that, Bo?" Exactly, That's, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: just kept thinking, "Gee, Acacia sounds like yes, us. <laughs>
0: yeah." <laughs> and and so we see Bo really taking. A very defensive posture with Tamsin toward the the end of the episode saying, I know it sounds crazy, yada, yada, yada. And in that moment, just being completely oblivious to sort of Tamsin's feelings toward her. Because, you know, mm-hmm. what Bo says to her essentially is that sometimes you just got to take a chance. And I feel like that just sort of crushed Tamsin in a lot of ways, because I think from from especially what she says in Groundhog Fay with recognizing that Bo has a deeper connection with Lauren and Dyson, she's thinking, okay, I don't have a shot with Bo because she has this these established relationships, she has this family, but to see Bo just throw it all over for this Rainer guy who drops in out of nowhere, I think that really seems to crush Tamsin and make her realize, okay, Bo is not going to reciprocate my feelings, at least right now. No. And I saw a lot of very, very strong reaction to the kiss between Tamsin and Dyson on Twitter, with a lot of people being very upset about it. But personally, and maybe I'm wrong, but the how I read that unfolding was Bo just kind of crushing Tamsin's hopes, and Tamsin taking out sort of the sexual frustration she has toward Bo, and projecting it onto Dyson. And Dyson was similarly in sort of a bad state about so it's a little bit of Tamsin using Dyson and maybe a little bit of Dyson using Tamsin as well.
2: Yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, it's cheesy as it sounds, they're like these two broken people just going, well, we can't have the person we want. You know, we're both just going to drink and Tamsin just goes, well, I'll just take what's in front of me. I mean, you know, because again, they've all been pushed aside for this Rainer. You know, I heard all this... You know, yeah, very strong opinion. Oh, they don't have chemistry. Tamsin and Dyson doesn't make sense. She's only, you know, there was that kiss between them when they first were, you know, introduced or whatever. And now they come on to each other. And I'm like, look at the situation they're in. They're both incredibly hurt and drunk. And they have that mutual, very sad understanding.
1: Seeking comfort or whatever with each other. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, Stephanie and I at least have talked about this. We we thought in the past, mind you, this was pre-season four, that we're, we were kind of sad that they didn't go that route of having uh, Tamsin and Dyson paired up, because that really could have been pretty interesting with the, the light-dark situation and everything. Because
2: yeah.
1: it looked like they might for, like, a second, and then they didn't.
2: Because, we, you know, we, now we've seen with two relationships the human-fae relationship, but we haven't really had a light-dark one. I think that... Um, I did, but I did really enjoy seeing the buddy-buddy, you know, relationship between Tamsin and Dyson again this episode.
0: Kenzie obviously had the other big storyline in this episode, and her storyline was super busy, right? Because she had Mm -hmm. arrival of mom and mysterious cousin Dimitri, which kind of made me happy that we finally got to meet (laughs) Dimitri. Because she's mentioned him a bit before, right? Yes. She's always yeah. calling him she's for-
1: The one she's on the phone with when she needs yeah, something. Yeah, when she like
0: wants to get stolen goods or she needs this or that. That's who she calls is Dimitri. So we have arrival of Kenzie's mother and that very sad sort of storyline that followed. And I actually really wish that they had stretched this out a little longer over maybe two or three episodes rather than cramming Kenzie's mom coming back and then- them making up and then her mom ultimately kind of betraying her. I wish it had been a little bit of a longer arc since sort of Kenzie's immediate family has been a real mystery throughout the series.
2: Yeah. Four years. It's been a long time to always wonder about Kenzie's backstory. And I wanted to hear more of that storyline about what happened between Kenzie and you know, her mom's boyfriend or, you know, hints about it, because it's it's part of what I think um, forged her character, made her such a wisecracking character, how she'll hide her pain under a lot of humor, how she learned how to survive on the street, that kind of thing. And I was um, wanting to hear more about it. So when you say, Stephanie, it had been, I wish it had been stretched over a few episodes. I agree with that.
0: It was really revealing and a very emotional moment, I thought, to hear Kenzie talk about her time on the streets and feeling really ashamed about some of the things that she had done. She's never really talked quite that openly about being a street kid in that way. And I, it was mm-hmm. a really touching scene that Ksen- – well, Kenzie still was brilliant the entire episode, but, you know, she was really wonderful in, in that moment. And, again, going back to Kenzie really wanting to forgive – beau pretty easily at the beginning of this episode we see it again in her not really i don't know if she forgives her mom completely but essentially giving her mom another chance in this episode and we just see her setting herself up for heartbreak again and it's it's really difficult to watch but at the same time you know I, i just felt so so much for kinsey in that moment when she's hugging her mom and saying you know i thought some i thought you would turn up or end up she says something like that and she doesn't quite finish and i think she to me in that moment was implying maybe she really feared for her mother's life in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and I always wonder what kind of verbal or even physical or beyond a kind of abuse that Kenzie might have suffered from her, you know, stepfather or on the streets or, you know, she refers to, I think in uh, 302 when she was, you know, she met, um, Aussie because she had pneumonia that one time when she was on the street. So it's like, it's a lot of things that she's been through that we can only imagine. And I think that's, I mean, as much as I want to know, that's, I also kind of think that's partially why the writing is a little vague and Kenzie doesn't go into a lot of specifics because A, she doesn't want to remember and B, it's kind of almost worse as an audience for us to kind of only imagine what she's been through.
0: And then, you know, there was that, that incredibly kind of heartbreaking moment where she, really seems to say goodbye to her mother, probably for the last time when, you know, when she catches her hand right before her mother hits her and she realizes you're Mm -hmm. not a victim, you know, you're just a weak person. I was just, oh, it hit me really hard, that scene. It was, it was a, it was a rough scene. And I, and I, but I liked that, I liked that moment for Kenzie. I think it shows that even though she's mad at Bo right now, I don't think she'd be able to say that to her mother if she didn't feel like she had a supportive family at the moment. And I think that includes Bo, Lauren, Dyson, Trick, and and Hale. Uh, But (laughs) I was, I was like very proud of Kenzie in that moment to be able to do that. Yeah.
2: Right. And I was really scared at the moment because I thought her mom was actually going to hit her, but the fact that Kenzie was able to catch her and just like physically catch her wrist and say, this is the truth, you know, you're not you know, you're not a victim. She's just someone who will still keep taking advantage of the situation, still just trying to keep, you know, to get an angle, to get money out of people, you know. So just kind of what um, she just tells her mom the truth of kind of what a sad character she's become because she still can't just uh, do what Kenzie has done to try and live a, a life where she has gone through all these difficulties but still finds a real family and doesn't take advantage of them.
1: Right. And the, and Kenzie taking a real stand of, you know, no, I'm not going to let you do that to me anymore.
0: Yeah, there was a sort of a sad familiarity with the way she caught her mother's hand, which makes me think that perhaps it was not her stepfather necessarily who was the only one being abusive toward her.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
0: might be wrong, but she just she did it so easily and so instinctively. It just kind of seemed like that had happened before.
2: Mm, interesting.
1: Mm. And now you've made us <sighs> all even sadder, yeah, thank Stephanie. Thank you
0: for, like, putting more sadness into my
2: mind. Uh, but I did like that little bit after her mom left when Dimitri said, you know, you should keep this guy. He's a he's a keeper. So he still recognized that. So, you know, hopefully Kenzie can still be on better terms with him, even if he's, well, maybe not, since he was in on the deal. But, um, you know, he he at least recognized that.
1: Although I have to say, I'm kind of annoyed with Hale for calling them. right
2: Because Hale knew that she ran away from these people. You know what I mean? I think he was blinded by his good intentions. Like, he just did, chose to ignore it. I
1: know yeah. he meant well, and everything worked out well in that sense. But I'm still, I don't know, I, I have reservations about the fact that he did that. You At know what the I same mean? same
0: time, though, Hale is really a pretty traditional guy. Guy in a lot of ways, he was raised with sort cer- of with oh, certain I know. I mean, expectations, I, right? So I totally think it's in character for him to want to call Kinsey's mother to have his, his her mother's blessing before he proposes to her.
1: Oh, I totally agree. It's just again that part of me that is, like has left these people behind. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I understand it, but I'm still a little just kind of I'm a little bothered by it. Apparently.
0: So you know, of course, we have this this lovely proposal scene, and I thought the the actors, even the actress who was playing Kenzie's mother, were all just perfect. The way she, you know, she has the pink phone; <laughs> <Yeah. and> she's <laughs> trying to get it in the shot. It, it was, you know, it's this beautiful proposal, which I, I just am so mad at. I, but I feel like they ha- they felt like they had to put it in there because we haven't seen Hale the previous two episodes, so they couldn't really have this build. They had to sort of make it escalate their their relationship really quickly within the span of one episode, and this was sort of the easiest way to do it. But I guess my argument would be: have hail in the previous two episodes. Why haven't you had more hail this season?
1: <laughs> yeah, really, because Casey was busy. I don't know. I know,
0: but but yeah. So I, I I didn't I like I I thought the the proposal scene was beautiful. You know, it kills me that at the end of the episode when when Kenzie's so upset after Hale's has died to say, you know, I was going to say yes. I was going to say yes. I wanted to say yes.
1: (sighs) Some poor choice of words, Stephanie. Yeah.
0: What do you mean? You said it kills you. you. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That wrecks me emotionally to hear her say that. But I just, uh, I really want to shake my fist at Steve Cochran for putting in the proposal scene. I wish they hadn't quite done that. and And Andrus. I'll shake my my other fist at Anders. Because <laughs> <laughs> she slides off on everything. Do you hear
1: that, Lost Girl Writers? You've got both of Stephanie's Urgh. fists going.
2: <laughs> 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 but I think, I mean, it's, this seems to be always the way it goes, where there's the proposal, and then Kenzie's like, not sure. Not because she's not letting Hale down, but then you have the scene where You know, they're both like, we have all the time in the world. Uh Uh-oh, big red flag.
0: Oh, I knew Hale was a goner as soon as he opened that little ring box. Oh, yes. As soon as Kenzie said, we have all the time in the world, I was like, oh. Exactly. Oh, no.
1: It's the the worst possible thing to say on a TV show.
0: I know. We've been speculating on it
2: for weeks. So, uh, unfortunately, my speculation was correct.
0: We have this sort of very sweet scene between Kenzie and Hale where Kenzie's Basically says she'd be stupid to let him get away, and and then she comes downstairs and is talking about putting the cheese directly into the ice cream, which makes me love her even more. And then that asshole Massimo comes along. Damn it! Damn it! Or or as they call him, Asimo. That's a Twitter I read. Yeah. While I wish that they hadn't crammed. her mother's storyline into this episode the way that they did. I wish it had been spread out. I, I do think that having such a, a recent reminder to the audience that Kenzie came from a from from an abusive home makes what what Massimo does to her all the more just hmm. heartbreaking and really justifies the super strong reaction that Hale has towards it because you you know he's got to know what type of background Kenzie comes from. And so to see to come downstairs and find Massimo treating her that way, it, it it really makes sense why he would just lose it like that. And I don't even want to go on. Oh god. And so we had, you know, the bloody ear come into play again and The infected piercing. Yeah, I thought that was interesting because it was kind of like a red herring, but not. Because we first saw him with the bloody ear and of all the gin joints after Bianca died. And at that point, it was kind of uncertain. Was his ear bleeding because she'd sang the death song or was it something else? And I think this episode confirmed that it was a result of him using his power quite that intensely. You know, we're sitting here worrying that it's going to be the bloody ear that kills him. And while it isn't, ultimately, it's Massimo, but the bloody ear does lead to him dying because he right. couldn't hear Kenzie. Yeah. yeah,
1: it plays into it.
0: Yeah. So he got, he, you know, he didn't know to, to duck or to, to dodge or whatever when Kenz- when yeah. Massimo came with him, at him with the katana.
1: With, with Geraldine, wasn't mm-hmm.
0: it? Yes. Which I thought it made, it like, made it so
1: much worse yes. that it was Geraldine, which also, you know, here... I I just so much of that whole scene is about things sort of coming back to bite you, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which also, it's one of those things like it's, it is sort of exploitative, but it's also, you know, it's well done in the sense that, like all the stuff you knew was going to come back in some sense, but happened. Yeah. But oh, it just hurts so much more.
0: But he's stabbed with Geraldine. He's stabbed with Kenzie's own sword. Massimo didn't die from, from Hail Siren Whistle because he had the Twig of Zamora that Kenzie gave him. I mean, ugh, <laughs> the writers just really weeded the scene up, didn't they? <laughs> it's just, I'm saying. It just wrecks me.
2: I'm just going to continue drinking. Yeah. We're all going to do that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't quite because I was so emotionally racked the first time I watched it. I didn't get it until the second time that he couldn't hear. So, yeah, that was just.
0: <sighs> but I, I thought, I thought Ksenia Solo and I thought Casey Collins were just phenomenal in that mm-hmm. scene. That what also just sort of wrecks me is after he gets stabbed through, and he's looks at Kenzie and he realizes what's happened and he just, he whispers run to her. Like he's, he's been run through with a sword and he's still worried about Kenzie. Um, And I'm starting to cry. (laughs) And then, you know, Kenzie just freaking out when, when Massimo, you know, kicks his leg or whatever. And it was just a really, really well acted scene. It was fantastic.
1: Which is why everybody has been crying for the past 48 hours or on the verge of tears.
2: You know, and he's such an incredible bastard because he could have very easily killed her too, but he knows it's worse to leave her alive and say, our debt's paid in full. You know, your debt's paid. And I'm just like, ugh. So.
0: So we're definitely left with this big question of how all is is Hale's death going to affect Kenzie? Because, like we mentioned, he was run through with her sword. Massimo was protected because she gave him the twig Zamora, which she tells, she tells Bo. And so she's got, she's obviously feeling really guilty about that. And then outside of that, you know, when, when Hale died, it really made me recall back to season two, when she made the choice she did in regards to Nate, because she sent him away because she was worried he was vulnerable amongst the Fae. And so she picks up with Hale, who's Fae, and he ends up being killed by a human. And it has me wondering if, if this might be an impetus for Kenzie to absent herself from the Fae world, if not, probably not permanently, but at least temporarily. And I wonder
2: how it will affect her relationship with Bo. Will she hate Bo because Bo couldn't bring Hale back to life? Because she didn't try hard enough? Because, you know, when she says to Bo, you know, I don't, I don't care if I die, you know, Bo says, I care.
1: So I think that's the thing too. I mean, we know that there's going to be fallout from this in their relationship, one way or another.
0: Kenzie says to Bo, I will never forgive you before Bo tries, you know, she ch- sucks some, some chi out of Kenzie but then says she can't she can't do it. So I, I I don't think we've seen the worst of it yet. I think Kenzie's probably still going to have a lot of resentment toward Bo. But is the fact that Bo tried, is that going to be enough to salvage their relationship in some way? I mean, I hope so. I think so, but I, I, I definitely don't think we've seen the worst of it yet.
2: And I think she's going to have more resentment towards herself, which is terrible because of the whole twig of Zamora thing. She says it's her fault. And, um, but at the same time, you know, with her and Beau, she, how she says, you're, you're so selfish, you say you care about everybody, but you only care, care about yourself. And I don't know if that's purely just in relation to the whole Rainer thing um, and how she's been over uh, the last few episodes or if that hints at anything else.
0: I think it's more than that, because as much as I as much as I love Beau, she has been from the beginning. She has a tendency to be a bit selfish and a bit thoughtless. And I think it's the recent events really have just caused Kenzie to sort of come to a boiling point in regards to that, where we see her call her out a little more passive-aggressively at the beginning of the episode, and then very, very directly here when she's so wrecked by Hale's death and and really has sort of nothing to lose in regards to lashing out at Bo in that way. And I don't think think she's wrong. I think Kenzie has a point that Bo does have a selfish streak, especially recently.
2: Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I I totally, I mean, I was, as much as I was sobbing at that point, it was, for me, it was, I was kind of almost glad to hear it. And somebody tweeted this recently. She's, this is before, obviously this episode, they said, it's going to take a major development, like somebody dying for Bo to kind of wake up and, and see how selfish she has been. Yeah. Snap out of it a little bit. Yeah. So I wonder how that will play into the next two episodes.
1: Kenzie's own guilt is probably going to play into all this. So I'm kind of wondering if maybe Kenzie, in addition to being upset with Bo, is going to get reckless. I'm kind of thinking at this point, that might help snap Bo out of it too. You know what I mean? Like, oh, Kenzie's...
2: Reckless with her life or... Right.
1: I mean, if Kenzie's being self destructive I think that might serve as an impetus to get Bo to snap out of whatever Rainer induced haze or whatever and at least at least pay more attention to Kenzie, you know?
2: If if that doesn't happen in the next few episodes, then I will be upset with the writing.
1: We got an interesting tweet from Heather W. Uh do you think that the Santiago family slash Clan Zamora will seek revenge at all against Kenzie or Massimo?
2: Um yeah I was kind of picturing going, oh I don't know, I think uh you know, I, 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 do think, unfortunately, at least Tails' father would be very inclined to blame Kenzie, at least. You know, less so of Val, hopefully, but, yeah, um, but that makes me more afraid for Kenzie, because that did occur to me, going, oh god, what if they go after Kenzie? Mosmo, I don't give, give two craps about, but, um, I don't, you know, I, I wonder how it's gonna pick up next episode, where the first scene will be. You know, if they've, like, had Hale's funeral already, or if there will be a wake at the doll, or if the Santiago family would be there. I don't know.
0: So I think in, in regards to Hale dying, I think another big question out there is how his death is going to affect other people, especially Dyson. Obviously, on the show, besides Kenzie, Hale has had the closest relationship with Dyson, and I'm very curious to see how Dyson will react and what this death might motivate Dyson to do.
2: Or if Hale blamed Kenzie and how it's gonna affect his relationship with Kenzie
0: and then I have to bring up like i'm I'm very, very sad, and I'm very touched by by Hale's death. I was you know, just like I said, the, the episode I've seen it twice, it's made me cry both times i'm I'm really sad to think of Casey Collins not being on the show anymore, but I gotta say, I'm pretty disappointed with the show that this is the first main character that we've had who's died. And he's the only cast member who's a ca- who's a person of color. And I'm not saying, I want to be clear, I'm not saying the show chose to kill Hale because Hale is black. I'm not saying that. But there's an unfortunate tendency, in especially horror movies, but in, in sort of media in general, for the character who's a person of color to die first. And usually this is an, a consequence of there just not being enough representation of people in color in main casts. They tend to be secondary characters and they tend to be more expendable than other characters. And it makes me really sad and really disappointed that we've lost our only main character on the show who's a person of color. Mm hmm. So then moving on to Massimo. I was kind of disappointed that they included the mention of him, that Acacia mentions him earlier in the episode. I was like, oh, now I know totally he's going to kill Hale. It's going to be Massimo. <laughs> I thought that that, I thought that w- that was a big, you know, red flashing sign. Like, oh, it's going to be him. So, you know, I think the, the end of last episode from what we saw of the hand, I think we're supposed to assume at this point that probably Massimo has the seed that that has all the Unamans powers. Though again, I'm willing to I'm willing to admit that the writers could still totally throw a twist in there. Well, I was thought, I mean from my interpretation
2: that Trick thought that Vex had it and that's why he is talking to him about it.
1: Well, sure. I mean, but that's just what Trick thinks. So we still don't know who actually took it because it could be Vex, it could be Massimo, it could be Acacia, even probably not, but it could be, Um, could
0: be Raynor. So you know, there's this question of does Massimo have the seed? And if he does, I mean, crap, right? Because he has the seed that's going to make him all powerful, and he also has the twig of Zamora, which makes him pretty much invincible.
1: Here's a question, though: If he's human, can will the seed work? Work on him? Since they have all these.
2: Well, I just keep thinking someone's got a. Have a knockdown, drag out fight with Massimo, stab him a few times, and grab the twig off him before he gets up, and chop his head off. And, you know, that'll do the trick.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I do have this question in my notes: Who's gonna kill him? Because yeah. <laughs> clearly, if if somebody on the show doesn't, somebody in fandom will. He's he's <laughs> he's probably the w- most wanted person on Twitter right now. So
1: there are a billion fanfics being written about ways to to get yes. him. Yes, yes. Is that yes, what yes. you're working on, there,
2: Annie? <laughs> no, no, I'm not working on that. I'm working on happy Happy fic. Um, but uh, I don't know. I just thought that Vex is implied that he has the seed because Trick is so trying to talk him out of it, going, you're a better man than this, and relating, relating stories to him about his dad, and they're kind of buddy-buddy. And to me, it seems like, you know, if Vex has it, he'd be more inclined to give it up, that he's... Hopefully not as that he's turned the corner a little bit, that he's still not as power hungry, but then again, maybe he could be, and he could be the Vex that we were first introduced to, who is a sadist and who does crave power, and who we saw more hints of with um, at the beginning of this season. You know, and he doesn't want everybody to get their memories back of Bo, because he likes being in that position of being the Morgan. So, I, I don't know. I mean, it could be Massimo... It could be Vex. I mean, it could be somebody. Who knows? I hope it's Wainer so people have an excuse to kill him, but that's just me.
0: At the same time, though, Vex seemed pretty hurt by Trick's suggestion that he took the seed. Like, he seemed genuinely to have his feelings hurt, that Trick still thinks he's kind of an evil guy, even though he's been trying to maybe turn a leaf in some way.
1: And even though they'd just been hanging out and drinking together. Exactly,
0: exactly. I did think so, that was fun. It's possible that, that Vex has the seed, but he, I think he did, he did seem genuinely hurt by the suggestion that he had stolen it. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a really, I, I did like the two little scenes we got between Trick and Vex. Melanie Killensworth over at, at Mel's Bells, she suggested that maybe Trick was, was putting Vex on and he didn't actually know his father. I didn't really get that sense. But I do think that Trick was definitely trying to manipulate facts.
2: So I have a question about that scene where Trick says the real danger is the uh what is it, the horse thing? Parapus. Starts with a P. The Parapus. What is this whole thing with the Parapus? Is this like another does it what relation does it have to the wanderer, if any? What is this whole thing? Of, oh, out of left field, we're going to throw another baddie thing that's been hinted at since the end of season three. I was going to uh, say, it's not really new, though. Well, it's not really new, but I'm like, God, how much more can we pack into the story? We've only got two episodes left, people.
0: I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're if they're not setting up the Pirapus for a big bad of next season. Not necessarily that they're going to bring it in this season. But I actually was, I found that interesting because, you know, Trick had pulled out that that drawing of the, the horse with the wings and the fire at the end of the ceremony saying, you know, mm-hmm. not, not you or something like that. And yeah. and he does that in reaction to when Bo super sucks the room and gives that whole speech about how I will reign because I am his father. Only I will decide who lives and dies. Because I am his father. Sorry, because I am his daughter. That would so be weird and awkward. Could the <laughs> be her father? Well, Beau's maybe. Bo's like descended from a
1: horse. What? But it's it's Lost Girl, so yeah, I know, I know.
0: Because if if, if there's this suggestion that the pyropus is somehow related to Bo's father in some way or Bo's ancestry in some way, it would make sense to me that they wouldn't necessarily tackle that head on until next season. Because obviously, one of the big mysteries of the series is Bo's origin, and so it, it you know, I I would make sense to me that they wouldn't necessarily resolve that in the fourth season when they have a good shot at a season five.
2: Well, yeah, but why do all the misdirect with the Wanderer is my father, could be my father in the third and the fourth season? And then this whole Rayner thing, that's a little frustrating as fans have kind of expressed story-wise with the Rayner character. Oh, clearly they enjoy messing with us, Annie.
0: Yes, I know. It doesn't bother me at all. I think it's interesting, personally. Me too. So I, I tried to do a little bit of research on the Pyrrhopus. Thank you to, I asked people on Twitter how to spell it because I was having difficulty finding it. <laughs> Cause when I first. <laughs> All my searches result in nothing. Well, actually, no, because I, when I fir- when I first watched the episode, I I misremembered it as Priapus who is a Greek god but he's a Greek god of fertility and he's right. known for his prominent erections. I was going to say if you if you've taken an ancient
1: an ancient art course in college you
0: are familiar because because you know how how on on like a viagra box it says you know if you experience erection at lasting more than eight <laughs> hours please see your doctor immediately that is called priapism having an erection yep. that lasts for you know an extended period of time because of this guy Meanwhile, why do i know Prietus, that but you know, i do and, and so so Anyway, so I was, I, I was searching for Priapus and mm, <laughs> I was like, well, given that Bo was an unstoppable sex Exactly. Woman. I was like, oh, this makes sense, <laughs> but he's not there a horse, a horse with bat wings. I'm so confused. So, <laughs> but it could be a horse with an erection that lasts more than four hours. Oh, no. No, Annie. Oh, you did not, did not go there. there. <laughs> So thank you to the people on Twitter who told me how to correctly spell Piripus. There wasn't a whole lot that I could find by Googling, except basically it it is what they've described it to be, a horse with bat wings that can breathe fire. So I couldn't find a heck of a lot. If people listening know a little bit more or could point me to a better resource, please let me know and I'll, I'll take a look at it so we can include more information. What did
1: you say? Says Piripus is one of Hades' horse creatures. Uh, Could he be related to Bo's ancestry?
0: I believe, I believe Vex calls him the devil's horse. So he's definitely like a hell horse, not necessarily the devil, but related to the underworld. And
2: Mm -hmm. related to death. And as Bo says, you know, we will reign over, you know, who chooses who lives and who dies. So which Hades chooses, you know, who goes into who goes to their version of heaven, who goes to their version of hell.
0: So in the, in the sort of the two little trick vaccines, obviously we get this really interesting mention of, of Pirapus who Laveau also mentions Pyrrhapus is coming. I need the seed that, you know, so I can protect myself. And then in addition to the, the mention of Pyrrhapus and getting a, a name to that drawing that Trick has been carrying around, I, I thought it was really interesting. And I thought that Paul Amos played this moment really interestingly where he says to Trick, you see good in me. I'm glad someone does. Poor, poor, poor Vix. Well, and it actually reminded me of something Chris brought up in our episode where we, we talked about Lovers Apart, where you mentioned that where where the, the Jumbie is saying that, you know, she is evil. You mentioned it might have been something of, of the looking glass self going on where a person becomes something because they feel like everybody perceives them as such.
1: Right. They've internalized it.
0: Exactly. That maybe this is kind of what happened to vex because he was a mesmer because he was so persecuted
2: and because he sacrificed his own family to live and
0: right he joined the dark he aligned himself with the dark as he says in let the dark times roll he says you know I- i'm a servant of the dark it, it, perhaps it's not necessarily because vex himself is inherently evil but because it is how people have perceived him to be or how he has had to become because he wanted to survive
1: Right. That whole, you know, becoming the thing that people treat you as, sort of.
0: Yeah, but he's all
2: done it just because he's the ultimate survivalist and this is why he's lived so long. But he's not proud of everything he's had to do to to be there, to get there.
0: I've really liked the, the development, the character development that they've done for Vex this season.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me too.
2: And how skillfully it was done in, in – you know, such a few short scenes because it's hard when you have a large cast to give everybody, you know, adequate screen time, but it's just really a great job by Paul Emels. So,
1: right, and I think they've really done a good job in the sense that they're still sort of, you know, acknowledging that he is doing these awful things. Like they're not trying to hide it or anything. I mean, yeah, in the season premiere, he has a woman snap her own neck. Mm-hmm. But they're still sort of providing, I guess, context for why he does the things the things he's doing. Yeah,
2: and and it's interesting what you say, Chris. You know what you said in that episode. You know, you kind of think you are the thing that everybody perceives you to be. It's like, you know, maybe he's gotten used, almost used to doing these kinds of really violent, you know, maniacal deeds because he's like, well, I'll just snap someone's neck and I'm almost kind of used to it now. Oh, they're just the help. I'll burn them with the, you know, I'll make them burn themselves with the iron just because, you know, I've had to do it for so long. I'm almost used to it now. And this is just how I am and I can't ever change no matter what people say about me. Or if you're going to make me be evil, I might as well enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. And have, Heels and really crazy outfits and a great big codpiece at the same time.
1: It always comes back to the codpiece.
2: <laughs> we hope we hope Vex has not had an erection lasting more than four hours, but that's just me.
0: <laughs> There's been a lot of penis references in this episode. I apologize for that. Ironically, Annie will not let it go. A couple of the... These were really, I think, more series themes than season themes that were brought up in this episode. We, we have Bo talking about Destiny again. And saying she's trying to figure it out and it's complicated. And she makes this comment, you can't always choose your path, Dyson, which is very contradictory to where we see Bo in the beginning of the series saying, I, I will live the life I choose. I choose humans. I will not be aligned with either of you. And then I, th- I thought it was interesting Dyson's response when, she, when he says you seem to in this very upset, kind of passive aggressive type of way. I was very bad.
2: I yelled at the screen when that happened because I didn't like that comment because I thought it went against everything that Bo stood for. And now she's just so into Rainer. And I could see why Dyson was upset and that he responded the way he did because he was like, well, you've always done that, you know, and you're you're choosing this person now, but you're doing it at the expense of everybody else. And we don't understand why.
0: And then the other theme that we've, that we saw revisit in this episode, it's tied to this idea of power that's really been important this season, but specifically power as it relates to blood, because we have Beau in order to control the Revenant, the Revenant she has to drink some of Laveau's blood, which I thought was an interesting play on Beau's own power, because... When peop- when her blood mixes with other people, she can control them. But in this case, she had to drink somebody else's blood in order to control this group of people. And then we also have in the conversation with between Vex and Trick, Trick tries to say, history is written by the victors. I really wasn't this great, all-powerful king. I wasn't very actually very good at it. But then Vex replies with saying, history is written in blood. I'm curious to see how this image of blood or this idea of blood will perhaps be important in the in the coming couple of episodes it might not but they do revisit it it seems like every every couple of seasons or or so because if you think back to the end the the season finale both season one and season two the first one's called bloodlines and the second one is called flesh and blood so definitely this idea of blood and is is very important to the show Stray thoughts. Well, first of all, I thought it was interesting that Kenzie seems to be short for Mackenzie, because her mother called her Mackenzie a couple of times.
1: Which she also was called in The Dawning.
0: That's right, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. I'd forgotten that. Good point.
1: And as you know, I have a cousin Mackenzie, who we call Kenzie sometimes, so I'm not surprised.
0: But going back to, to know Lorian in this episode, I, I personally, I, I thought, you know, it held together well without her. I... I I do, but um, yeah. but I I am sad now that I feel like we're not. I'm never going to get my resolution between Lauren and Hale because
1: a couple of people tweeted that to us. Yeah, yeah,
0: because you know we we saw some friction between the mm, two of them in season three right. when he was acting yeah. like an asshole, and then in Groundhog Fay is really the only episode where we see them interact, and even then they didn't interact all that much. So I just feel like I'm never going to get my Lauren Hale closure now, and that makes me. That makes me sad. Not as sad as the fact that Hale is gone, but it also makes me sad. I really loved that even though we see Bo refusing to choose between light and dark, having difficulty choosing between Dyson and Lauren, I, I thought it was really powerful in this episode where, where Bo says very definitely, I choose you, Kenzie. I will always choose you when it came to saving Hale or having Kenzie stay alive. I thought that was a very a very powerful moment and something that I think a lot of us who really love Bo and Kenzie's relationship really were, were gratified to see. I, it was nice to see their relationship emerge as more central to the story in this episode.
1: Right. I, that's one of those things I think – we all kind of thought that, but it's nice to actually hear Bo and especially Bo at this point in the story to hear her actually say those words is um, reaffirming, I guess would be the word.
2: Yeah. Especially at this point in the season and to see it and to hear it. And, you know, as we say, that's the, you know, Bo we want to see versus the bow under, you know, Lainer's influence or whatnot.
0: I guess I would say, you know, obviously this was a very emotional episode, a very brutal episode for especially fans like us who are really invested in, in the characters in the show. But I, you know, it was also so damn funny too. There were so many really great lines and funny moments where, you know, like Kenzie making the comment about roommates leaving a dead body on the floor when her boyfriend's coming over. And, and I loved the, <laughs> the reference to they, they refer to Dyson as Mopy Dick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was great,
0: <laughs> but this that was, was really really great. But you know, this was really an episode that I, I think ca- required the actors to really stretch and 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 play all these different elements of the show. And I and again, I just thought the acting was really phenomenal across the board in this episode. Just big props, especially to, of course, Ksenia Zolo and Silk, and Casey Collins. I think they were fantastic in this in this episode.
1: Oh, absolutely. And again, I mean, that's what I was saying earlier. the emotional obstacle course, like I just it was a whole bunch of stuff, and I just was confused and sad by the end, emotionally confused, I mean
2: <laughs> again, just that last shot of the episode of you know Bo saying she will always choose Kenzie, and then Kenzie is so distraught, Bo has to use her powers on her to calm her down and and then Bo sobbing over both of them it was just too much. So
0: okay, I loved how right after Hale had been had been stabbed and he died, they they do a cut right, and there was no music, nothing. It was just sort of Kenzie quietly crying and then it cuts back into Bo coming home and again, no music. And I loved the the music that they the score that they added at the end of the episode, but then the damn credits start to roll with the happy peppy theme song, <laughs> and I'm like, no! no! <laughs> <laughs> this...
1: They should have kept the music through the credits like they
0: did with um, Close Watch. Yes, they yes. should have ah. kept the music going. It's like you ruined it. <laughs> Cheers, Casey. We will miss you. Indeed, we will. Indeed, Our we televisions will. Televisions every week. a lot. And that's actually a perfect segue. I really, next week, there's no new episode. And I would really like to throw a wake for Hale on the podcast next episode. And I would love it if y'all would contribute. If you want to either email us, tweet us, favorite Hale moments, favorite Hale quotes, what you love about Hale, what you love about Casey, I really just would like to do a, a hale Casey Collins appreciation week. And something that I would really, really, really love (laughs) is if y'all would send in voice comments that we could include in the podcast. There's, It's really easy to do. You can do it either on your computer or your phone. If you go to the website, there's a big button on the right-hand side of the screen that says, send voicemail. If you click that button, it'll take you to a little pop-up window where you can record a message and send it to us. And I am planning to Again, do a nice wake for Hale. I'm going to tweet it to Casey Collins. I'm going to tweet it to Emily Andrus, who seems to... We're on her radar a bit since she was a guest on our our podcast and make sure that Casey hears it. But I really want to send a lot of love to Casey because I think we're all going to really miss him a whole lot. And I'm getting all emotional.
1: (laughs) Me too. (sighs) I think I'm tearing up a little bit.
0: So that's my plan. Please, y'all, please, please, please participate. Please... Spread the word to people on Twitter or whomever to, you know, you can send in fan art if you have fan art that you've done of Hale. I just really would love to make a really lovely tribute to, to Hale and to Casey. I also, while I'm mushy, I wanted to thank the people who sent us donations. I mentioned last week that I added a donate, added a donation button to our website and Several people sent us donations. I was really surprised and overwhelmed and just really touched by by people supporting us in that way. Like I said, we love all the support y'all send us. If it's tweets, emails, comments, we love all of it. Again, I really appreciate those people who sent in donations. Thank you so, 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 so much. I'm trying to think of a nice way to, to say thank you to y'all, but for right now, please accept my verbal thank you. Y'all are really fantastic and, and we really appreciate your support yes thank you everybody thank you for all the
1: support of of any kind it's wonderful
0: so if you are if your keyboard has not been fried because your tears have been falling profusely upon it please let us know what you thought of end of a line we would love to hear your thoughts You can leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at drinksatthedoll.com slash 40. You can send us an email to feedback at drinksatthedoll.com, or you can send us a voice message, especially if it's about hail. send us stuff about hail by clicking on the send voice mail tab on the right side of the page over at drinksatthedoll.com. Thank you so much for joining us for Drinks at the Doll. My name is Stephanie. And
1: I'm Annie. And I'm, again, very sorry. My name is Chris.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Cheers.